Hello and welcome to the Hoff Podcast. I'm Daniel Turner, the pastor of the Tyler House of Faith. We take these messages from our weekly services and then release them here on our podcast channel for you. We hope you dig it. Well, some of you know that a little over a week ago, we just hit somewhat of a milestone around here. And it was the, it was our, basically it was our 10 year anniversary of doing the Tyler House of Faith. You know, that started off in a little pool house of an apartment with just a handful of people kind of doing a Bible study. And now is what you see and what you're a part of that's here. And so I kind of wanted to, and I'd been kind of chewing it around, like kind of wanting to do a bit of the Hoff history because, you know, 10 years is, is kind of a big deal. It's a long time. And basically the story that I want to share a lot of it's personal, but it's, it really is a story that's just about relational connection to the Lord Amen. and walking with Him. And that really is what Christianity is and what it's about. And even that's really what church really actually is, you know, in, in our belief in the biblical description that Jesus gave of what church was and what church is. And I'm always led, and I'll start off with Matthew 16, and it kind of starts in verse 13, but it's when Jesus is with his disciples and he asks them, who are people saying that I am? And, you know, they kind of rattle off some names. Some people think you're actually John the Baptist or, you know, or Elijah, you know, you know come back from the dead and you're doing all these things, the, the, the rumor mill that was spreading about him. And that was one thing. And I think it's one thing to know who someone else says Jesus is. You know what I mean? But then there's something that's of a much higher level, and that's the point Jesus was making in the next question in Matthew 16, 15. He says, but who do you say that I am? You know, (laughs) and one of them had the courage to speak up in that situation and say something that was pretty daunting in those days about who Jesus, he he believed Jesus was. And he says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And um, which was true, right? Someone who they had been waiting for, for hundreds of years, if not thousands, really, the Jewish people. Hundreds of years since, since even the, the days of the prophets. It had been over 400 years of what they called the years of silence. And all these prophecies that had talked about this messianic king, this son of David, you know, this, this man that would come lead Israel back into prominence and do all these wonderful things. But the prophecies were so obscure and, and, and almost like a mosaic painting. They were, they were, but they were separated, so they hadn't really been put together But when Jesus heard Peter say that, you are the Christ, his response was, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And it's this contrasting thing of even his first question, who do people say that I am? You know what I mean? To the second of like, who do you say? And when he said it, it was like, well, blessed are you because you didn't hear this from other people. You've heard this out of relational connection to somebody who's in another dimension. Your Father who is actually in heaven has actually revealed this to you. And you've actually connected relationally to Him. Something that in those days only the prophets did and the priests did. You know. But Jesus had opened something else. And He was that. He was the embodiment of that God walking around. Blessed are you. You're a... You, 
And I say to you, you're a Peter or a stone, and on this rock I will build my church, this organization, this ecclesia, this, this governing body in the world, this, this organization that he had come to establish. Not I will build my synagogue, not I will start my religion, all the grid that they had. He's like, on this rock, I'm going to start this new thing that no one's seen before. My church uses a Greek word for it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so right there in the mission statement, the description of what he's coming to start, it comes from relationship to our dad, a relational connection. And on that rock, there's something that is built together that is meant to destroy the gates of hell that have been erected in the earth, the inroads that hell has had into the world. <laughs> instantly it's militant, and instantly he's ready to, he wants all that smoke, you know? He, he, instantly it's about a fight. Yeah. You have any friends like that? Back in the day? Like, like take it easy, buddy. Let's have a night off, you know? Um, yeah, he's that guy, you know? The gates of hell won't prevail. Not only that, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and you will have authority in this relational connection. You're going to have authority to bind things on the earth that are bound and disallowed in heaven. You'll be able to disallow them on the earth. And loose things, the abundance and the reality of heaven that's not here, you'll have the ability to actually release those things which are in heaven onto the earth. This is a powerful deal. But for the point number one, like church, Christianity, and even the body of what believers are, it's about being connected to God and to one another. You know, there's another verse. You know, when Jesus comes and he kind of has, speaking of wanting some smoke, when he comes into the temple and he comes in kind of hot, one thing he says is, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know? And this isn't a prayer of, of it's in December and we're writing our Santa Claus list to God. You know what I mean? Prayer, as we've come to realize through, enti through the entire scripture, is actually connection. My house, this thing I'm coming to establish, this reality is actually not supposed to be the place of religious transactions, of payments in order to be accepted by God, in order to serve Him. He's done something different to qualify His people, and His house is no longer works in order to qualify. It is actually coming into a place of connection, training and equipping in that connection. My house is a house of prayer. And it's funny, he's quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, that that about the holy mountain of God, this heavenly house, my house shall be a, called a house of prayer for all peoples and for all nations, which is, can you imagine being an Isaiah that wrote that and then like the I am himself is coming embodied, quoting you, words that he put in your mouth a long time. How, how, what an honor would that have been, you know, but hey, you know. But the point I'm making, and it's pretty simple, and it's what everything's about even here, is that church is actually about connection. And it's not about just being accepted and having friends and stuff like that. That could be a, a byproduct, but it, it is about fellowship and communion with God and with His body to where His blood flows through. To the end of that, there's a unity manifested that the gates of hell, and there's a power manifested that the very gates of hell will not be able to hold up against. They are squatting on land. They are squatting in the earth and it's illegal what they're doing, right? Yes. But they're not going to be able to stay here unless we allow them. 
Their gates won't prevail. They can't hold on to it. Even when they come into someone's body physically, they're not supposed to be able to stay there. It's illegal. They're trespassing. And their gates won't prevail. But somebody has to pick up the authority that's been given to us 2,000 years ago. And that's what Christianity basically is. That's what connection is. That's what church is. And I have people sometimes, well, if you start in a church, well, what's it about? What kind of people group are you looking to, to, is it the youngsters? Is it the hip people? Is it a coffee shop church? Or is it a, you know, is it a cowboy church? Or is it a rock and roll church? Or is it, you know, what it is, you know, what, not that those things are bad. I'm sure there's good versions of those things maybe. But what I'm saying is like, it's, it has nothing, it's a house of prayer for all nations. It has nothing to do with having anything in common other than the rock of revelation of Jesus is the Son of God, He is the embodiment of God, and I have a relationship to my Father in heaven because of what He's done. He's paid for my sin. I'm walking out of that reality and training, functioning in the gifts and the powers of His Spirit to the end that the gates of hell won't prevail on the earth. I'm stepping into the family business. You know what I mean? And so that's the answer to that question. But the start of what I wanted to do starts roughly about 12 years ago. I had so many theories and beliefs. Someone who had actually studied, trained, uh, served in churches, uh, ministered in in so many different capacities from setting up chairs to prophesying or praying over people to being the the helper guy to being security at times if if we had to run somebody off, you know what I mean? All kinds of stuff to having a home group and all these different things. But... I found myself in a difficult space about 12, 13 years ago. Um, it was a time where the things that I had believed, because what you believe to be truth, sometimes it really is a theory until it's tested. You catch what I'm throwing? Even if it's right. It's only a theory until you walk it out. I mean, uh, everybody can have an opinion about something, but you don't really own it until you live it. And, um, and I was living it. But there was a time, uh, the things that I had believed and even started to t- and had been teaching, that they were going to be tested. And I had believed and taught about like all kinds of things, not giving into the temptation of ministerial uh, politicking in order to gain position or not using manipulative tactics to gain uh, authority and influence in places. Um, but it was just like I got to see the ugly side of things that happen in ministry. And everything that I believed about ministry and calling and purpose and and the eyes of the Lord finding you, and the Samuel-David connection, all these things, it came to a point in my life where it had to be true or it wasn't, you know? And um, so, yeah, that's interesting. And it was, it, it, was, it was really a baptism of fire, you know. Has anybody ever heard of a, a, an aerospace um, spaceship called the Millennium Falcon in here? Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, that's Han Solo's rig. You know, Luke Skywalker looked at it and he's like, we're going in that piece of junk. Are you kidding me? Han Solo's like, whoa, whoa, kid. She doesn't look like much, but she's got it where it counts. There's some special modifications made to this thing. Ends up to being the most, if you don't know, this supernaturally charged, you know, spaceship in this movie called Star Wars from this 1977. And it's just this brilliant thing that defies all kind of odds and, and it's just, it doesn't look like much like he said, but it, man, it really gets the job done, you know. And greatest jet of all times riding around in Luke Skywalker and then 
the, then the real greatest of Jedi of all time comes onto the scene. Her name's Rey, and she ends up finding it. You know, I mean, it's just this brilliant kind of stuff. Even though those movies were real jacked up, those last three, but at the same time, <laughs> it's it's there's some truth to them. I think, the, you know. But I remember when I was a kid, I was probably like maybe four years old, and we, I got a Millennium Falcon at a um start, at a at a garage sale, you know. And it was just left out on a table, and my mom and I was like, ooh, I want that. You know what I mean? It had some Star Wars figures in it. And it was the coolest thing, man. So it was probably about the size of, like, a large pizza. You ever seen those? Those old ones, man. It's from, like, 1978 or 9. You know, it's a real deal, you know. Probably worth a good bit of cash these days, right? And um, all those collectibles, people want that kind of stuff on YouTube or whatever. But a few years later, when I was, like, man, maybe 7 years old or 8 years old, probably 1987, 1988, um, my, my parents were friends at the church that, my, that I grew up kind of going to with my parents. They were friends with this young couple, and a uh, really cool couple, Hispanic couple from Texas, actually. And so they were kind of like our, they would babysit us sometimes, but they were like the real cool, like they were probably mid-20s, and so we thought they were awesome. And, and uh, before they were actually moving here back to Texas, uh, you know, think about that. Um, but Rick, one of, you know, the, the guy, he was like, hey, Daniel, and he was a collector. He had a collector room of all kind of matchbox cars and all kind of stuff. He was into all that stuff. He's like, can I, can I, do you still play with that? And I was like, well, not really, because I was into sports by then. I was eight years old or something. And he's like, can I buy that Millennium Falcon off of you? And I was like, well, sure, man. He's like, I'll give you five bucks for it. And I was, and five, that's a $5 bill. They ain't, them ain't ones. You know, this is in the 80s, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. I'll put all the, I'll put Vader in it. I'll put all the guys in it. You can have everything. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I don't want the, I don't want the guys, I just want the ship. I'm gonna hang it in my collection room when, when we go back to Texas or whatever. And it was cool, like Elma, his wife was um, an engineer at NASA and that's what my dad did growing up. And so they were there for that. And so that's how we kind of knew them. And Rick was like a, he was like a counselor at like a teen jail or something like that, you know, juvenile place. And, um, and he was like, yeah, totally. He was like, I'll sell you the Millennium Falcon. So I sold the Millennium Falcon for five bucks. You know, didn't have no clue that it was probably gonna be worth, you know. A little bit more than that, you know, about 20, 30 years later. But, you know, anyway. So, yeah. But I'm not meaning to just make that story like something random out of the blue. Um, there's a reason that I said that. But anyhow, um, what I really wanted to talk about today is, is not Star Wars, but is actually the reality of what brought us to this city to start this church. All right? Keep the Millennium Falcon that I sold five for $5, you know, maybe on the back burner for a minute. We'll get back to him because there's something interesting that happens there. But me and Nicole were, I think we were engaged. We were living in North Carolina, up in the mountains of North Carolina, uh, Moravian Falls. It was a good time in our life. But the Lord started to speak to me about Texas. I have no relatives in Texas. I have no connections to Texas. I have nothing. You know, it's almost like if he spoke to you about, you know, I don't know, Montana or something. You're like, what's about Montana? I don't know. Well, maybe some of you have that connection. But it was nothing to me, right? And um, one night, I remember specifically... I had a dream. It was back-to-back -back nights. I had two, two dreams about Texas, but one of them, I was actually flying in a jet over the United States. And when I was flying over the United States, which, you know, it's kind of cool because you're flying over a map and you see all the farmland and lakes and stuff like that, you know, whenever you fly. I looked out of the side window that I was flying out of. I was able to see over the United States, and the entire state of Texas rose up off the map, like whoop like the outline of it rose up and then rose back down into the ground. I was like, whoa, that was so strange. And we were going to eat and hang out with, um, at the church that I served at and that I was at, the pastor's house, the next day. 
And I was like, man, I had the weirdest dream last night. And it was two in a row. The first night, somebody was tattooing the state of Texas on my arm, <laughs> right? Which I didn't make that a reality. <laughs> my mom is thankful for that. Um, but, this, but the second one was Texas floating off the ground. And I thought, man, that's two in a row of a state that, you know, I have nothing to do with. And so the next day, I'm eating dinner at his house. And I'm like, hey, um, as a matter of fact, I just had the weirdest dream two nights in a row about Texas. The second time, it actually rose up. And, and, and lowered itself down. And then the pastor and the, the group that I was around, the ministers, they, were, they had a lot of pull and notoriety. And so they would get um, requests to go speak all over the place and stuff like that. And so he was the pastor of the church up there, but he also would travel some. And I had got, I'd been able to travel with several of them, you know, di several different states and even overseas several times, a few times. And, um, but I, I told the pastor that and he's like, hey, I'm actually going to Texas in, in, in four weeks. He's like, why don't you just buy a ticket and just come with me and just see, what's, see what it's about, you know what I mean? Because if you're having that, like, I'm actually going there. And I didn't know he was going there. So we were both kind of like, you know what I mean? And so, you know, long story short, that's the first trip that I had to Texas. And it was not Tyler, but it was a city fairly close to Tyler. And he was doing his meetings. And the way it would work is a lot of times he would give the messages or whatever. Then he would call me or whoever came up with him. And we, have, we would do a lot of times a prophetic thing, which is kind of similar to our prophetic teams, the way they function here, only it's just like from the front, you just eyeball and just bang, bang. You know, you just call people out, you know? And so that's kind of what, that was my specialty or my, you know, what I would do or whatever. And I was young, I was early, mid-20s. And so, you know, I, we came to Texas to a town that I really di didn't, like all that much pretty close to here to be honest and i was like e, i would never i hope i hope that dream wasn't about this place i don't want to come here <laughs> you know but we met a guy from tyler that was actually there at the conference that my pastor had been speaking at and we all kind of hit it off and he was a fitness guy and he owned several gyms and um i was a fitness guy i was a trainer and i had my own company and i had a private studio and stuff in the mountains so i was doing that and we kind of hit that stuff off and between the pastor and this businessman that had all this stuff, they were really wanting to start something in Tyler. And so they were kind of kicking it back and forth. And it's like, hey, we really need a point man to kind of run it for us and, and kind, of, kind of pastor it, you know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, you really do, you know what I mean? But it was all eyes towards me, like, yeah, you can do it. Why don't he do it, you know? And I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, Let me pray about it. The Lord spoke to us, and we ended up coming and doing it. And so we were here before I started this church. This is probably... 13 years ago, something like that. We were here for a year period. And it's really interesting because we were at this church, we were serving the Lord, and um, we were doing some similar things to kind of the way I run, because I was the one running it. It was very similar to this. Um, and one thing led to another. I would say it kind of grew faster maybe than it should have in that one year. There was a lot of notoriety and stuff, which comes with ministry sometimes. People, it, it, it kind of made a bit of a, bit of a splash. And um, because of that, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes there's things that happen behind the scenes that are a little bit uh, maybe sketchy. Territorial stuff starts to happen, and it kind of got some notoriety to where people kind of started to want their name on it, if that makes any sense. And um, there was also some, some life crises. You know, one of the overseers, these two overseers, one of them's wife was trying to leave, and all, it was really dramatic. And so me and Nicole were the young couple, but we were the ones actually running the thing, you know. And so there was some back and forth fighting kind of going behind the scenes that we didn't really have much to do with. But I never really thought much of it because I felt like it was so much of the Lord that I was like, there's nothing that could wreck this because of the things that are happening here. I know that it's God. So I didn't really, I didn't think anything could take it out. But after the tug of war happened for a while, 
it was kind of a very sad deal because there's this uh, what you call a selfish ambition and fighting for position and for notoriety and all the ugly things that happen behind the scenes in the church game and, and ministry and stuff it kind of happened so much that finally we had to just say we had to step back and say hey you guys can have this um, this isn't right for us to be you know be involved with and it was dude it was I want to say it was sad but it I mean I was the most broken I've ever been I was the most sad that I'd ever been and and you know because there's something about serving the Lord and really functioning your gifts um, that's uh, it's really a fulfilling thing. And, um, you know, I'd, I had served, served in many years, for many years, and ministered and done all those things, but never in the role or capacity that I was then. And to be honest, it really clicked in with me, man. And, and I was actually really good at it, and I didn't know. It's almost like you had this talent or something you didn't even know you had. You just kind of served in all the different roles and kind of helped. But then I was pushed into this one role and it was like it clicked. You know what I mean? It was just like I got kicked out of the nest and I realized I could fly and I could fly real good. Not just like a little, you know, a little Tweety, you know what I mean? Like something for real. I was like, man, I'm like a pterodactyl or something. I feel, I feel this is natural for me. I even liked the pressure. I liked the pressure that would come. I liked the notoriety. I liked having to prepare messages and find the word of the Lord even last minute and then, and then deliver it and watch the dog hunt. I liked to disciple and watch people be delivered and set free. And it's just... It was so cool and fulfilling, but then to have that kind of removed because of all the other things that were going on behind the scenes and have to be stepped out like that, I, it was so crushing, man. And it was so, um, there was betrayal that happened. There was, it, it just, it was ugly and um, it was tough, you know. And so I remember after that happened and I really, you know, we were still living here, but we were praying about where we were supposed to go because like we, we stepped out of that and kind of handed it over just because it was going in a bad direction. And I remember being really broken, really broken. We lived down um, near uh, Lake Palestine. I know it's Lake Palestine, but they call it Palestine, so I just started calling it Palestine right here. So that's what they call it around here. But So we did live down there in Flint, a.k.a. Bullard, a.k.a. Lake Palestine, Palestine, all that, you know. And I was so broken. And I remember praying to the Lord, like, hey, this isn't right. I can't believe this kind of thing can wreck. There's such a pure side of ministry into functioning and, and giving to people. And, but then there's such a yucky side. And I can't believe that you would allow the yucky side to wreck the good side. It's like, it's so, it's so tough. I cannot believe this. And, and, and I was just praying and kind of like bleeding a little bit to the Lord. And not only that, but that Millennium Falcon that I sold when I was seven years old, that's messed up too because I didn't know I would want that again someday. And I'm telling you, it's such a random prayer. It's such a random thing to come back to my mind because I wasn't mourning the Millennium Falcon. I didn't care about that thing. To be honest, I don't really care about it now. You know what I mean? It's just like, it wasn't a big deal. I could sell it on eBay for 700 bucks. Like, I don't care about that. Like, it was the last of my worries, but for some reason in my spirit, it just came out of my mouth. And not only that, the Millennium Falcon got taken from me when I was a kid. You know what I mean? And it's just like, even I want to look at my own self and be like, you don't care about what? You know what I mean? It don't make no sense. And, um, but that was the prayer. And it's, it was really strange. But within a couple of days, my parents called me. Randomly. Out there in Flint. Packing up. Fixing to move. We had options to either move to Dallas or move to North Carolina. We prayed about it. Lord Lord us, told us we were supposed to go to Carolina, which I did the last place we wanted to go to, to be honest. And um, my parents called me. They're like, hey, you'll never believe who we just talked to on the phone. I'm like, yeah, who is it? You remember Rick and Alma? And I'm like, yeah, 
I remember them all right. I remember them. I'm a Lennon Falcon guy, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, which I wasn't bitter about that. I was like, I was just like, yeah, I, like, yeah, like that's random. And they're like, yeah, we haven't talked to them in so many years, but they called the other day. You know, their kids are all in high school now. They're older and, and they were, you know, dad's retiring. And so they were talking about NASA and all, you know, whatever else. She's like, and my mom's like, and you know what? You know what Rick asked me? He said, he said, hey, and if you talk, when you talk to Daniel, ask him if he would want that Millennium Falcon back. <laughs> so mom's like, what? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll ask him. So she says, so, so yeah, he wants to know, do you want that Millennium Falcon back? And I was like, I do want that Millennium Falcon back, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, here, give him my address. Actually, she's like, oh, all right, well, I guess I'll call him. I, I think she thought, like, well, I'm sure he doesn't, doesn't, you know. <laughs> but it's like, no, you call him back, and you tell him I do. <laughs> Deer Run Road, you know. So anyways, they, they sent me the Falcon back in the mail in a UPS box, and I got the Falcon back, man. So that was the good part of the trip to Texas the first year that we lived here. But in reality, there's something about that token, that token that God brought something up in my heart when I was bleeding before him because I was communicating to him. You ever read the Psalms? You know what I'm saying? There's a little of that going on. When I was processing outwardly with the Lord, he gave me a token of something else that I had lost that was being restored to me. You know? And you guys understand, like, symbolism of of vehicles whether it's ships and planes and even down to like horses especially um, in the bible and there's so many symbolisms of what of ministry these things that carry you that you ride that you move through life in um, that god a lot of times he'll give you that as symbolism in dream language or or just vision language and all this kind of stuff and in that position of my life these things that i taught these things that i believe because how i got to where i was in texas was by, not by my own strength. It was actually by serving behind the scenes, by not trying to put myself in the front of the line, but not trying to take authority prematurely. Like that, that naturally actually happened to get me where I was, and that's why I didn't think it could be taken from me. Um, but there's something to that reality that any position you gain in your own strength and in your own positioning and your own politicking has to be maintained in that same strength and politicking, but that which is of the Lord does not, you know? And there was something to that reality of God was giving me a token right there that's like, hey, buddy, you didn't get your vehicle, your function of ministry in your own strength. And I'm on a position. I'll give it back to you when it's time for you to be in that position again. You actually follow me and trust the restoration of all things. And man, so it was a token that I had that I believed. And there was so many encounters like that, you guys, and so many dreams concerning our move. I don't want to do that today because it one for the sake of time but two for the sake I do want the point of what it looks like when somebody walks in relationship to God to be driven but I don't want the point to be like wow like you know you have tons of these things but I really do I mean it's ridiculous especially concerning this church so we literally moved to North Carolina back to the state we were from not to the same place in the mountains but we were actually near in Charlotte and really it wasn't Charlotte it was a, a little city called Pineville North Carolina which is basically a small city it's like flint and tyler like charlotte would be tyler and 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 pineville would be flint it's almost like a suburb of charlotte but charlotte's obviously much larger than this but it's a cool little town there's nothing specifically cool about it other than it's the home of james k polk the 11th president so you know 
not not far from our house, James K. Polk's you know log cabin where he was born is still standing in in Pineville, North Carolina. So that's like the that's the big deal of Pineville, guys. So they got a president out of that city, and that's a really big deal. But that's another thing maybe to save for later in the message because that comes into play. But I'll tell you, Pineville, for for me, those two years from 2010 to 2012 was literally two and a half years, was a place of literally walking out our healing from everything that had happened, you know? And it wasn't some like repentance and we had done something wrong because there wasn't that. We had actually just handed it over because things got ugly and, um, you know, we weren't going to go with it and, and what happened happened. But the reality is well, there still had to be a healing that was walked out and there was such a process to it that I grew in, that I learned, that I knew, right, in my brain, but I never, I didn't know in my heart through experience and walking it out to this level, right? And so I'll tell you, man, forgiveness was the key to healing. And it's the key to everybody's healing. There are things in the past, there's things in the future that God wants to entrust us with and lead us into. But we will not have the ability to hold on to them. We will not be able to fully function in them if we are still dealing with the issues from the past seasons of our life. But the past seasons of our life, the key to actually being free and getting the authority from them is to be healed of everything we've walked through. And I make a joke around here that we talk about forgiveness quarterly. It's like a message that I do, like I hit it really hard and everyone's like, oh, you know. But it's so very important and crucial. And man, in that time in Pineville, I mean, there, there was two things. It's like one, number one thing that's important is, is forgiveness and releasing it when it comes to healing. And I mean continually. Not like, well, I forgave him yesterday, but I still feel burnt the next day, so I guess it wasn't really real. It's like, no, forgiveness is every single time the memory comes up that the Lord brings, because he's the one, it's not the devil, the Lord brings it up. And you feel that pit, you feel that drop in your heart a little bit. It's choosing by faith a lot of times, because you might not feel it. I release forgiveness to this situation. Even the people that, that really did me the worst in that whole ministerial situation, the Lord would bring them up to me at four something in the morning when I was going to work because I went back into training. And the memory would come and the pain of it would come and the Lord would be like, now, release the forgiveness and pray for them. And it's just like, pray what? And he would say, pray, what would you want somebody to pray for you? I would say, hey, if there's any crooked way that you would make it straight, I pray that they would get so in alignment with you that they would fulfill their entire purpose that you have for them on the earth they would walk in the blessings that you have from the fullness. That's what I want someone to pray for me. He's like, well, that's, there, there you go, buddy. There's your start. <laughs> There's your start. So my quote-unquote prayer list wasn't for the blessings uh, in the finances and all these different things, which really did come. So we were really successful when we lived there for those two and a half years. But what it did come from was actually releasing forgiveness and praying for anything where there was unhealed wound in my own heart for those people that had any responsibility in that, you know what I'm saying, or any uh, role to play in that. And it took probably a year to a year and a half. But it would come to the point when I would actually remember those scenarios or remember the things that I'd walked through and stuff like that. You know you have those random memories sometimes that come up in your heart? It wouldn't have a feeling to it. It wouldn't have a feeling to it. You could see somebody you maybe saw as an enemy, that robbed you of a lot of money, because I lost a lot of money in that whole trip and everything, you know, that really took advantage of you, used you, you know, whatever it could be, you could see the ones that betrayed you, and you won't have the feeling. You actually have hope for them 
to be right with God. And that's a sure sign right there, man. That's what healing looks like in your heart. It also gets you to that point, man. Did you know that when you're healed from things you've gone through, you can then mine great riches from the situations? You can actually look back into the things you went through and actually be thankful for that stuff. That's a real reality. No, but you don't understand what happened to me. It's like, yeah, I know, but I don't, I don't need to. That's a real reality, man. And maybe that's why this message will go to this direction for a while. We won't get to the rest, but it's just like there's a real reality to, to that you can look back to even the things you go through and you're thankful for those things because you realize the things God has added to you and the authorities imparted to you to move on yeah. into your next move, into your next phase, you know. But you won't be able to extract the incredible value from those things that, that you've been through until you've released forgiveness and actually become healed. Because that causes you to become thankful for what you've been through because you learned, you gained understanding, which understanding is more valuable than any, any wealth in the world. Understanding, he is a spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. But his understanding unlocks everything. Deliverance is actually from understanding. It's not a prayer line, oh, you know, all that stuff. It's not that, it is understanding. Yeah. It's coming out from standing under something else and standing under your true inheritance. The understanding is the deal, y'all. And when you have that, you can look back through a, through a healed lens, but you can also look forward and the blueprints actually start coming together for you. It's true. It starts to release the revelation of the next step in life and purpose and destiny. So even in that time and in those seasons, me and Nicole, I remember it, it, it switched from a place of licking my wounds and trying to survive and getting a job in a new city and starting all the way over to being very successful with what we were doing but also starting to mine everything that I had went through, like, a coal, like not a coal miner, like a miner finding gems to realizing like, hey, in the mud of this stuff, there was diamonds and rubies and stuff. And now I'm realizing, ooh, I have all this understanding and all this better than a college education to move forward, to have vision. And you can start putting together separate seasons of your life and like, hey, there's vision for what you actually want to do. And you've allowed me, the good shepherd has led me by the green grass and fed me thick, but he's also me, took me through the valley of the shadow of death and put a table in front of my worst enemies at times, the enemy himself, the dark one, and he's actually fed me there. And so now I'm, now I'm in shape. And I have, I have several seasons of life where I'm going to bring not the negative things, but the good things from each one of those. I've talked to so many people and counseled people, especially that have gone through things in ministry where there's been burns and said, hey, it's so important now to continually lease forgiveness until your heart is completely whole, because you will realize even the things you've done through other churches, through other ministries, through other situations, relationships, there was so much value in those things. And once, you'll, once you're able to see it, you'll be able to start to see the path of direction that the Lord is leading you on. But that's the way the voice of the Lord works, man. And so I started to get the blueprints of what it would look like to really build a church, what I felt like the Lord was telling me. And I was like, and I started to imagine, imagine something that was started from the ground up that was based literally on that Matthew 16, on the rock of the Lord Jesus, that Isaiah 56 verse 7, like a true house of prayer, a house of connection on Ephesians 4, a place where the, 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 the fivefold ministry, so to speak, the leadership equipped the saints, like the giftings of the spirit of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, were functioning and people had a safe place to train and practice. Hey, that there was relational connection and discipleship that happened in a natural way that was rooted in good theology, that wasn't the bad dad accusatory 
you know, the accuser wearing a mask, acting like, I'm the father and Jesus is the son, ha, 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 that half the world believes, 90% of the world believes, you know what I mean? But it was actually in the goodness of the father and actually the testimony of Jesus Christ with the spirit of prophecy that you saw into each other the, the gold and the nature of God and spoke into that. Like, all these things were only theories, but I'd seen them work in different seasons of my life, and it was like, okay, I'm starting to realize this whole thing is wax on, wax off. Uh, okay, another 80s movie reference, you know, Mr. Miyagi, right? Where you've added stuff to me and all these different tasks and jobs and, and, you know, praying for people, prophetic ministry, doing ministry, marketplace ministry, because I was in that scene for a while, you know, doing it outside for a while, doing it in the church, all these different things. There's this, fa- there's this balance of the way this can work to shepherd this thing in the direction that you've called it to go. And once I started to become fully healed in my heart, I could see that. And it was like, I think the Lord wants me to do this. Now, how do you do that? You know, that's a good question. I felt like I had a blueprint. It was like, what, it, what would it look like, right? This is just a theory. If you taught the Bible, pure theology, taught it well, and taught people about having a relationship with God, you know, you can't control somebody who can hear from God. You can't control... Somebody that can, can, has a connection to God cannot be puppeted because they have a trump card, you know? Well, well, God told me, you know? It's like, you know, the church exploded with the, with the invention of the printing press and Martin Luther's thesis that, that questioned some of the weird religious practices that were used to control and extract the resources from people. And then the printing press happened, the Bible is translated, and people could read it for themselves and be like, wait, a lot of this isn't in here. And as soon as people could start connecting, just opening the Bible to themselves, things started to change. They call it a reformation. But imagine a, real, a reformation now where people actually came into what we drill, right? Isaiah 59, you know, Joel 2, Jeremiah 31, 33, Ezekiel 36, 26, all these like the, the prophecies, these obscure but profound prophecies of the Messiah and the new covenant that he would establish that had everything to do with this veil being torn and people knowing God's voice on a personal level that never stopped talking. That's a theory. But what would happen if people actually were taught how to have a relationship with God, how to hear his voice for themselves, the different ways he talks? What if there was no other connections? Maybe that was the blueprint to the church. There was no other connections, no networking, no advertising, no street teams. No interest meetings. We're going to have an interest meeting for a church for Bible Start. You know what I'm saying? No flyers. No fundraisers. You know? Just, this is what we're doing. We're getting into the Bible. We're walking with the Lord. We're training in the gifts of the Spirit and letting God draw the people He wants to be there. Amen. What if that was a blueprint to start a church? And that sounds like a crazy plan. I'm first to admit, it is a crazy plan. You know? But it was just a theory at that time. It felt right. And that's, that's what this place was. That's what this place is. You know, that's how it started. You know, the reality is you'll get a bunch of rough and, and most likely disgruntled people who are disgruntled with religion or they've never heard anything about it. And you'll have to lead them into the Lord's, into a relationship with Him in a way that they, that they actually become health, healthy. And they start to have success in life, which I'm talking about the peace and joy that is of the kingdom, the righteousness. 
and they will be the walking billboards that manifest like, hey, this thing is real. It's like, man, that seems so inspiring and so cool and so pure, but like so daunting to, to, to do it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, I know a lot of famous people. Like, I can get them to come speak. We can draw some crowds first, right? We can impress some people, or we can do this, or we can do that. Like, no, 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 no. What if it was like that, though? You know? And it was almost like the Lord was with me saying, yeah, but what if it was like that? Wouldn't that be cool? I'm like, yeah, it would be cool, but it would have to be the Lord. He would have to do it. He'd have to build his own church on the rock. He would build his own. Oh, oh no. You know? So I didn't go rush to Facebook and say, well, this is what it's supposed to look like. Everything else, organized religion. Bleed, bleed my religious wounds all over social media. And everyone's amen me and thumb up me and hey, and then I feel good. And then I go back to isolation and, and powerlessness. But at least I go to heaven when I die. You know what I mean? No, it wasn't that game. Am I saying this is the right way to build? I'm saying it has been for us. I'm saying, is it the only way? Like, I don't think so. It is what it is. I, I don't... I stay in my lane, you know, but um, anyhow, we're in North Carolina. I could start to see the plan, but I didn't know the exact time and a place for it. But I'll share just a couple little things. The Lord started to speak to me so profoundly in Pineville about coming and starting and where it would be. And it's, I probably have like eight or nine things that I won't, that I won't share but I was, I was at a ministry there as well, and I was serving. They had a large ministry school, you know, hundreds of people there. And, and I, was at, I, was one of, I would actually come in and teach there on occasion. You know what I'm saying? I would go teach in some of their meetings in different other states, affiliated with the church and stuff like that. I would serve, but I did not feel great about it. I didn't feel great about the connection. And I didn't feel great about being connected to some people I was connected to. And what ends up happening is, Slowly but surely, they ended up trying to open up a position for me there, a pastoral team over the school. And so I got this email sent to me and a few other people, like, hey, we want you to be on this, this team, da, 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 like officially give you this position, right? And in the natural, it's like, hey, I knew all, all you have to do is just get up and speak because there's so many people there and it's, it's videoed and broadcast to every state in the United States and dozens and dozens of countries, you know what I mean? All you have to do is just get up there and drop a couple hits and you're going to be a big deal, right? That sounds yucky, but that's just the way the game works, you know? All you have to do is just get up there and flex and just let it rip and it's going to blow some people's heads up and you're going to get invitations, you're going to have da-da-da-da and this is the way you climb, this is like the perfect opportunity to really blow up. Um, but I felt wrong about it in my spirit because I had this blueprint that on paper sounds kind of dumb, admittedly, but it feels so right, you know. So I was invited to be on this team and to do this stuff, and I didn't want to do it. I was wanting to create distance. I didn't feel right about it. There were some unhealthy strings attached. And the night before that I was supposed to con connect back and, and accept or decline, which nobody would decline, I had this dream that I was at my father's house and there was a horse there and I walked up to it and I started to put my foot in the saddle, which I don't ride horses if you didn't notice, uh, didn't know that about me, um, but it kind of, you know, kind of, kind of scurried from me. And I realized that I looked at him, I was like, oh, you're not my horse. 
And so I untied him from this fruit tree that's in my parents' yard, or was. I untied him and gave him a smack and let him go, released him. And I woke up from that dream so relieved. And I was like, I don't have to do this. Because I knew that if I rejected the position, it would be met with opposition. Because that's the, that's the scene I was in. It's like, what? We're trying to give you this spot. Like, people want this. You don't turn this down. You step into this role. Like, what's wrong with you? That's kind of how I'd be talked to. That's the history there. And um, so I, I just declined politely from the email and just continued to do my thing. And that day, of course, got the direct call like, hey, what's going on? Like, hey, how's it going? But this is what I mean about somebody who has a relationship to the Lord is not controllable, right? Because I answered that phone call and I was like, hey, how's it going to this director? Big guys and, you know, intimidates. Everyone thinks he's either awesome next to Jesus walking around or he's intimidating or whatever. And um, I was like, hey, man, you know, it's amazing. I was actually praying about taking the position and the Lord gave me a dream. He spoke to me so clearly that I'm not to take it. And it was like all the pressure, all the manipulation, all the aggressive. When you bring dad into it and it's real, you can't push on that. It was like, ah, really? And I was like, yeah. I was like, so, and I told him, well, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't, that's the thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep living and ministering to the people that I serve at, at work and in the real world. You know what I mean? But it's like, I was so thankful. I, I told him, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm so thankful that I realize this means God has a plan for me. He has something else. If it's not supposed to be this, he must have something else. You know, so you're telling me there's a chance. You know what I mean? I took that no as like, that means there's a yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And boom. You know what I mean? Then the things started to open up. It would take a long time, and I don't want to be much longer. But, you know, I, I started to get the communication of the Lord. Hey, the blueprint's more than a good idea. It's more than a theory. And he started to speak to me, and he started to unlock things, and he started to literally give me dreams where I would see scenarios from the Bible, like Nehemiah 4, things that were very, very descriptive about literally going back to the place where there was a great burning and starting something from the ground up. And it was like, oh, this is real. This is the Lord, man. And um, he gave me even permission to start exploring it and looking into it, you know. Because I had been told, like all my counselors I would met with, Jack Deere in Dallas. I'd met with Bob Jones. I'd met these, these guys that are, are always told me, he's like, don't do anything out of a split. If you're going to get out of town for a while, you cannot go back into Texas or into that region until the old church or ministry is completely dissolved. Never start anything that's birthed out of a split, that there's just contention and all these things. And I didn't even understand why. I'm like, why? I'm, <laughs> we could just start our own thing and take everybody. Like, it was ours anyway. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't get it. We didn't do nothing wrong. Why should we have to play by those rules? But it's like, no, it's very important. So I just listened. And I learned and I grew from all those things that I listened to. But I started to realize the Lord was calling us back to Tyler. And he, and he gave it to me in so, so many distinct, direct ways. Because it got to the point where I was actually really nervous to come back here and start it. Because that's a daunting thing, to go and start with that type of blueprint, without networking, with nothing but weird stuff in, the, in a weird city, and there's hundreds of churches here, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's just like, how are you going to do that, man? And I had so many very prophetic dreams, and I can't do it all today, or any of it today, but it's like so many ones that were so distinct. And one of my buddies that actually lived here knew about it, and he was like, you just need to come. And I was like, hey, the Lord's told me I'm having to come back there. 
but he has not given me the timing. So that was my excuse of saying, I'm not going there, man, until the Lord really makes it clear. And so he called me and he says, hey, I want you to fly out here. He lived in Chandler at the time. He doesn't even live in town anymore. Um, but he was like, fly out here and just pray about this city and see, see what the Lord would have you do. And I was like, I can do that. I'll come on a weekend and we'll hang out and, and we'll do that. And so there's about 30 things I could go through here. I won't do it. But before we came back, before I flew out just to come visit and pray about the Lord's timing, I believe it was a Wednesday night. I have to look. It's in my phone. I had a dream that we were back here. And there was a house on a corner lot that was, that was ours, had, had my initial on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, I saw it in the dream. And um, the way I woke up from the dream is there was an audible voice and the audible sound in my bedroom were of a door swinging open. And I popped out of bed, obviously scared that you would in your bedroom at night. And Pineville, the neighborhood was a little spotty where we lived. Just to put it like that, you know what I mean? It wasn't, uh, you know, this ain't no, this wasn't, you know, the Cascades, right? This is, uh, so it was a little bit spotty, you know, and there's a biker gang on one corner and then there was, you know, there's like, there's the whole neighborhood. It was just, it's the way it was. And, um, but we had two pit bulls laying on the floor in our room, you know? And so I hear the a sound of a door that sounded like a massive wooden door, like an old castle door, boom, oh, pop open into my room. And it scared me and I popped out of my bed. And, and, or I popped up in bed, and, but when I popped up, I heard a voice come out of that door that wasn't there, and it said one word, it said, Hidalgo. And I know that's the strangest thing many of you have ever heard in your life right there, just that little story. But Hidalgo comes out that door, and I heard that voice, and I was like, whoa. Is that a Hebrew word? I don't think it is. I think it's a movie with uh, the guy from Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean? Like, that's a strange word, you know? I wrote it down on my phone and I put with the question mark Hebrew and I still have that note in my iPhone now you know from that was an th iPhone 3GS you know but anyways you know it keeps your notes they sing forever um, but in the middle of the night and, and I just closed it and went back to sleep for the other hour or two before I had to wake up at four something in the morning and then I just woke but what I knew when I heard that door open was the Lord was saying hey the time is now the door is open and I'd been a little bit stubborn saying, well, I'm not going until I have the timing. And, and I, if you heard the level of dreams that I had about coming here, it's so ridiculous that I wasn't just doing it. <laughs> but it's because I was scared. And so it was like, hey, the door's open. It's time to go, you know. And so, um, boom, we heard that voice. Man, I went, to, I went to work the next day and I trained a few clients. And then once I had a break spot I kinda, in the studio, I kind of stepped into where the office was. And I was just on my little iPhone 3, 3GS, scrolling through the... Um, I looked at my notes and I was like, oh yeah, Hidalgo, what in the world? And I just typed it in my search engine. And the thing that comes up on my search engine is, is the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. That's the very first thing that came up. And so I selected it and I was like, what is this? And, it's, and it's, it was the end of the Mexican-American War. And it was the treaty that gave us the boundary line of the bottom of Texas. There was a battle over it, over this region. And it gave America, Texas, and all the way to um, the Pacific. And as soon as I read that, I knew, like, how much more specific do you need to go? Well, he's told me to go, but it didn't tell me when. Or is that where? It's like, hey, you're going to Texas. This thing was signed in, <laughs> in Guadalupe Hidalgo in a church down there. And, um, you know, so I, I got that, and I was like, okay, it's official. We're coming back. And this, this theory of this church, which sounds like the hard way, but surely the Lord will be in it, so it'll, it'll explode in one year. It'll, yeah, you know, 
that will happen. And, and uh, you know, so it was real. Oh, and also, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo was signed. The president that sanctioned it and signed it was James K. Polk, man, from Pineville, born in my little city I was living in. And it's kind of like the Falcon, man. That was just like one of those little tokens that was like, hey, buddy, there's, there's been purpose here in Pineville, and it's directly related to where you're going and what you're doing. And it gave us the confidence of, hey, we're, we're rolling this way. I really wish, and maybe I could do several parts to this. I don't know that I will because I don't normally do that, but I wish I could share the entire thing because there's so much in there, and it's such a cool story. But it's also, I remember hearing a speaker talk to me once about the clarity cost principle. And it was something that he made up. It was, a, it was a minister. But the clarity cost was like the level of revelation and understanding and direction that you get from the Lord that's specific about a thing. The, the more clear it is, a lot of times the more that word's going to be tested. And it's like, eesh, you know, the more direct it is. It's not because, wow, you're just so insanely prophetic. It's like, no, you're going to need to believe that this was me. <laughs> You know what I mean? Because this is, it's going to be tough. And so sometimes I get to the point where like, hey, like, I want you to direct me, but like, don't give me too much. I just want to step into it. You know, you know, what, I, you know what I mean? Because if it's too specific, you're like, oh man, that's going to be tested. But anyhow, that might not be the case. But there's something to the reality of, there was so many times in that first year to two years, sometimes three years, where we were just a small handful of people doing this, living this experiment, so to speak. Like, this is the Lord, he's told us to do it um, with a dozen people here. And we're going to unleash it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak a message. I'm going to cook it and work up on it <laughs> all week long as if I'm speaking a conference on television somewhere. You know what I mean? And then the 12 people that's there, half of them aren't even going to care about it, or 15, 20 of them. You know what I mean? A couple of them sleep and snoring out loud. True, right, Brad? Brad was there. He's one of the ones there. I mean, we had snorers out there out loud, people that were just there, ticked off, you know, you know, wanted you to be their dad. And I mean, it was just like, it was just a, it's a deal. Uh, yeah. So th very thankful for all of you now. But, um, you know, uh, the reality is I needed. There were so many times like, what am I doing here? I'm not from here. Why am I here? and Hidalgo, and then the burnt stones, and a blue angel that I met, and principality that I ran into in town. Uh, those are real things. Like, all these different experiences, just like, you know, it's like, wow. There's just too much stuff, communication from the Lord, that I knew I couldn't stop. Because it was just so, even though it didn't feel like it was real in the real world, it was so very real in all the spirit, and all the words, and all the connection, and all the relational connection that he gave me. It was just like, hey, don't stop. This is really important. And I was like, are you sure? Because I'm going to call my best friend back in Florida. I'm like, yo, let's just buy a lot and just put a bunch of cars on it. Let me just sit on it and just sell a bunch of cars and make some money or something. This is, I'm over it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those thoughts were going through my mind sometimes in those early days, you know? But it's like connection in the voice of the Lord is absolutely everything. It's the most exhilarating aspect in life, you know? Because he directs us into our purpose, into our plans, into his plans for us. And we get to walk that stuff out. And like the whole thing, even this story, even though it's just got to a little bit of it, it's like the whole thing is so important. It's very simple. It's just about having a relationship with the Lord. It's about knowing Him. It's about walking with Him. Um, you know, 
The things that affect us knowing Him and hearing His voice and walking with Him, that's another major key. It's the wounds. It's pain we've gone through. But we've got this power to release this thing called forgiveness. To walk through things and process things with Him in relationship that causes those things that seem like they were meant for evil against us to become actual authority and weight and and spiritual muscle that's inside of us, that we have spiritual authority to make things shift and move in the natural realm. It's real power, you know? It's not witchcraft the way they play and they, they sacrifice and they do all these things. It's actually authority of abiding in the Lord. That is the authority of God that we can carry when we're healed and it, it really transfers as weight. In the spirit, it's respected by the angels and by the demonic. It's like, it's weight, it's authority, you know what I mean? And we're called to walk this way. And, and it comes from hearing and connecting to God. It comes to being healed of everything that's held us back in the past. It, you know, people want revelation from the Lord, and he's obviously very communicative. Um, after all, that's what the new covenant, a major aspect of the new covenant is about. But God's God, and he's going to speak into the very things that he wants to address, you know. And for me, for a couple, for that one, year, one to two year period, it was addressing the issues of the heart and actually becoming healed and whole in those things before I moved forward in the authority that he had for me to step into and walk so that I actually be able to hold and carry that, he want, that what he wanted to bestow upon me. And it's not just me. That's the way it is for all of us. I am no different than anybody in here. I wasn't born on a full moon. I mean, I might have been. I don't think I was. But it's like, you know, I'm just tying my shoes the same way as all y'all. I just know him and I've chosen to walk with him. You know what I mean? And it's just like any of us that does that and is faithful with the issues of the heart and is faithful with being faithful and following through, That's because that's another thing. He's wanting to raise people. He addresses things, but he's also raising us from the spiritual immaturity into mature sons and daughters, the ones that all of the earth is groaning for, all of creation is groaning for to be manifest. And there's something to the reality that if we're not faithful in following through with the practical things that he speaks to us, it often causes a stagnancy in the relationship. And it's not on his end. You know what I mean? So A, it's like, yeah, it's like dealing with the issues of the heart, walking in the wholeness, releasing the forgiveness. That is new covenant Christianity. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Lead us, not into temptation. But there's something about forgive us as we forgive those. You know, it's not conditional. It's like it's a place of alignment that we walk in this forgiveness and wholeness of heart that causes us to walk in the authority of God and the clarity of hearing his voice. Because when we don't, our eyes got blood in them. That sounded aggressive. It's like when a boxing match, somebody gets hit in the face, they kind of have blood in their eyes. They can't see as very well. You know what I'm saying? A wounded person's not seeing clearly. They're seeing through a filter of their pain. <laughs> you know what I mean? But man, when that's out and you're, you're connected to the Lord, like you can see. And maybe it sounds irrational, but it's like, I feel like he's giving me a blueprint. I feel like the seasons of my life, even the, net, the bad things and the good thing, the victories and what felt like defeats have put together as a resume, like a college degree that he's directing a next phase in my life. And this is Christian maturity. This is the way it's walked out for any of us. And I know even talking about stuff like this, a lot of times it brings stuff up in people's mind, but it's good. It's time to do business with God Amen. of connecting to him processing things with him and mining the gold of everything all things work for the good for those who have called according to his purpose you know what I'm saying and there's something also to actually being faithful with little and you're entrusted with more 
So even if it's not an issue of the heart, like being faithful to the voice of the God and the things that he's leading us into and following through on that. There's several things that are just in the scripture as a believer, a way we should walk in light, in fellowship, in connection. He's building his church. He's building his body. There's something about not, not forsaking the assembling together. Like if you're, not, if, if, if you're not practicing those things, like, yeah, you're out of alignment. And that's a real tough thing to say, especially on social media, because everyone hates church. And I understand that people have been wounded about it, but they're going to find themselves fighting against the very ecclesia that God's called them to be a part of. And if they're never really a part of it, they're never going to function in what their purpose and destiny was. Yes, yeah, so in a Lone Ranger game. Texas Ranger game. You know. Matthew 6.33 is a position of the heart, man. Seeking first the kingdom. His purposes. We know what His purpose is. On this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will prevail against it. You know? his, church, his purpose isn't like, oh, to be a part of a church, but it is to be a part of a body, a multi-member body. And everybody's called to be a part of that and to function in that and to relate in that. That koinonia is real, man. It's a major key. True communion... True communication from God does not just give us information. It actually imparts His nature to us. And that's another thing, man. We're relating to Him. It's not just like, all right, give me the plans, give me the information, tell me how I'm going to get my knees met. You know what I'm saying? It's like the communication actually imparts His heart and His nature into us. And that itself is authority in the spirit realm and in the natural. Connection is everything. They don't actually just direct us, His words. They are actually a part of our transformation. So as we're leaving, I'm going to just kick it back on you guys. It's just like, hey, I would encourage you to connect to the Lord and ask. It's like, hey, what is he saying? And what has he said through the seasons of my life? Or is there unhealed things and situations that he allows to come up within my heart during the day, during the weeks, during the time? Is there memories from childhood, ministry, sports, school, whatever it is that still come in and they don't feel the feeling of thanksgiving for those things. It's like step into our step into the authority of actually walking and releasing thanksgiving, praying for those where pain was released until the heart is so whole and do it hand in hand with God because he's the one that's bringing it up, not the devil. The devil keeps reminding you of your past, reminding him of his future. Remember that t-shirt? It's like no, if your past keeps coming up, connect to God and deal with it. So that you can walk into the future that he has for you. Amen. That's a, there's a bumper sticker. It's too wordy, just like my messages. It's a little too much. Like, they'll, they'll scale it back, bro. You know? Um, what's he saying? What has he said? Have I followed through with the things that he said? Have I followed through with the things that I've seen in the word that is truth and life that I'm supposed to be walking in? You know? It's like, connect to him above all things. Closing. I've had so many people over the years talk to me. Some of, some of y'all here, um, you know, about how, to, how do we, I know it's a little different the way we do things than many people have seen before. And it's obviously by design. But everything in the church and everything in this, this church is, is built on those principles of connection. To the Lord first about, and foremost, but also into his body. And we don't really have like a, we don't have like a sign-up membership or a membership class or something like that. You know, we don't do that. I'm not against those things. It's just not, it's just not, it's not in our lane. We don't, we don't do it. Um, but in reality, it's like so, and so many people, it's like this is their home church, you know, and, and, that, and that's totally cool. But the way you function in this church is 
Our goal is to create as much space for people to function and to serve in any capacity that they feel the Lord's leading them. Just like I said, imagine being trained and equipped in the gifts of the Spirit that people have individually for them to function. One of those ways, there's a meeting, I think next week, is the prophetic teams. We've probably had 50, 60 people that have gone through that training. I mean, if you would like to just learn the practical aspects of hearing the Lord's voice, and not that you don't know those things, you can know those things as a Christian, but even just seeing the format of the way we do it here, and maybe to volunteer to be able to serve in that facet and to grow in that gifting, you know, sign up for something like that, you know. Um, the hospitality stuff, which is, it's not just cooking meals or something like that, but it's, it's different the way we do it. Obviously, the children's ministry, we're always looking for volunteers to do that once every month, once every six weeks, you know. That's a good way to plug in. Anthony was talking about the communion, you know what I'm saying? We had 30-something people taking communion this week on Wednesday night, you know what I'm saying? We didn't have that many people at our church for the first five years, you know, it seemed like, you know. But, uh, you know, we have, what else is there? You know, we have people that are praying for healing and stuff like that, based on the revelation of that by his wounds we've been healed and that's a reality that we're contending for and that's a reality that we step into and speak and proclaim and pray for people you know what I'm saying and for many people I say hey it's a good time when they when they come they feel called to be here it's like hey if you just feel like called to be here and you're being you just want to be fed and be in relationship with people like hey man that's a that's good too while you're learning and growing maybe you are being healed maybe you're just learning you know being fed in the messages and in the worship and and receiving from the ministry teams and, and, and becoming in relationship with other people that I minded. Like that, that's another that's another way. But connection is a major key with us. Because I feel like it is a, it is the essence of New Testament Christianity. It is connection with God and relationship to Him above all things and walking in the function that we're called to in His body. And understanding that everything we've gone through is actually for our good. Even the mistakes we've made. We can mine the gold from them, you know. So, Lord, we thank you for this reality. Thank you that your word is true. I thank you for the plans and purposes that you have that are so wonderful and good, beyond what we can even imagine. For everybody that's here and everybody that's under the sound of my voice, I ask that every hindrance to relationship with you and with people, that you would put light on it and the reality that you've actually paid the way for complete and total healing and restoration in your body and in the world let us be those who walk in the wholeness of this new covenant and release it over the earth amen